This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. Thanks to all our members for making our truth journey a reality. And to listen to part two of tonight's interview and all of our interviews, just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the subscribe button. You will receive your login immediately. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. When fascism comes to America, it will come wrapped in an American flag. Huey Long, an assassinated American maverick politician of the 1930s, famously foretold. It arrived ceremoniously on the morning of September the 11th, 2001. 3,000 perished in the flames as the nation watched the tragedy unfold in shock and horror. Predictably, Americans rallied around the flag. America's new century had a new Pearl Harbor, and the media beat the war drums to the thunderous applause of flag-waving armchair patriots. Within 45 days of the atrocity, Congress passed the ill-named Patriot Act without a single congressman reading the bill. It was a full-scale assault on our rights and freedoms. This act eliminated our rights to unwarranted searches, 
the right to legal counsel, the right to a trial. It greatly expanded the government's ability to spy on citizens without a warrant. America has turned into a Nazi Hydra. And for this and much more, our special guest is Glenn Yaden, right now on Veritas. Glenn Yaden is a lifelong activist and a leading authority on fascism in America. He was raised on a family farm in Minnesota and now lives in the Pacific Northwest. Glenn has multiple degrees in chemistry and computer science. He has authored numerous articles probing the roots of American fascism. His article, Ties That Bind, connecting George W. Bush and the neocons to the Nazis, has received exceptional praise from readers. He is the co-author of the book titled The Nazi Hydra in America, Suppressed History of a Century. And directly from the Pacific Northwest, I would like to introduce Glenn Yaden to Veritas. Hello, Glenn, and welcome. Oh, thank you for the introduction. Uh, it's a typical Northwest day uh, with rain. Great, great. Well, a few uh, weeks ago, I received the book. It's, I have to say, it's about over 650 pages long. I think that maybe four books would have been great, but it's a very comprehensive book. And for years now, Glenn, I've been saying, and I've been using the term, the Nazi Hydra is alive and well. Apparently, the Nazis lost the war, but won the peace. That statement, do you agree with it? Oh, most certainly. Uh, the Nazis laid, uh, had uh, laid out some very well-defined uh, comeback plans and uh, financed them accordingly. Now, right at the beginning, you start talking about the Bush family. Now, we can go back uh -huh. to, to uh, Prescott Bush. He was uh, Hitler's uh, financier. Let's go in chronological order. Go back to the 1920s, 1930s. Take us from there so that we can proceed in a way that people can connect dots in a, in a simple manner. Okay. The, well, starting in 1920, probably the two leading American fascists that praised Hitler would have been uh, Henry Ford and uh, Irene DuPont. Uh, uh, Hitler had uh, pictures of... Uh, Ford in his office, and he praised the book uh, or the magazine uh, Ford uh, published called Internal Jew. Uh, did several reprints of it in Germany. Uh, those were the two leading ones. Um, the big leader, other than that, would have been I.G. Farben and their ability to set up cartel agreements with American corporations and basically pull American corporations into the fascist uh, circle. Uh, that went on throughout the 20s and the 1930s. Uh, it was uh, helped along the way by uh, uh, Coolidge, Harding, and uh, Hoover, uh, especially Hoover, uh, and... Uh, uh, Andrew Mellon was the Secretary of Commerce at that time. He helped it along the cartelization of uh, American in industry. And once he got to the 40s, 
then it uh, broke out all over, uh, and I wouldn't know uh, where to describe it. Uh, during this time, Prescott Bush was selling uh, stock uh, to uh, to Americans from the Nazis. In fact, he was, uh, like you said, he was Hitler's banker. Um, uh, at the time of the war, uh, it was known that... Uh, uh, about Prescott and his dealings with the Nazis, and instead of a, a expunging his portfolio of the uh, Nazi influence, he said hired Alan uh, Dulles to uh, uh, cover it up. Uh, but uh, uh, Roosevelt, had a, um, it turned out the guy was a uh, a patriot that was uh, working with Prescott and sitting on his office, and he went to Congress, and that's how uh, basically they found out about Prescott and uh, seized Union Bank and the Hamburg American Lines. Dealing with the with the enemy, do you think? Yeah. And many people have seen this this footage uh, even now on YouTube, a video where George Herbert Walker Bush is shut down. His plane is shut down in the Pacific. And supposedly he was the youngest pilot and he was uh, rescued. Do you think that this was, I don't want to call it a false flag, but do you think this was a staged event so that the population would get, uh, would gain sympathy on Prescott Bush because of the dealing with the enemy charges that were uh, being uh, filed against him? Uh, no, I don't think that was. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't believe that. I don't know the story. There were stories that he was colluding with uh, the enemy and everything else. Uh, but I, uh, I'll take the, that doubting uh, as a legitimate, as it was told, uh, until I, I can find further information about it that I can verify. That's fine. That's fine. And uh, you mentioned some important names here: Alan Dulles, John Foster, uh, Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles, who eventually became the CIA director, who was fired. And and I don't mean to fast forward because we'll we'll even deal with Kennedy. But if when you fast forward, he became the CIA director. Kennedy essentially fired him, and Dulles became one of the members of the. Warren Commission, isn't that interesting? Well, it, it is, and uh, once you start looking at the Kennedy assassination for Nazi connections, uh, it's sort of like uh, breeding rabbits. Pretty soon you're overwhelmed with the buggers. Uh, there's all kinds of connections to the fascists and the Nazis in the Kennedy assassination. The other one, big one, that you, that's verifiable, easily verifiable, is the Bourne family uh, was running the Bung Corporation in uh, Argentina, shorting, uh, uh, having massive shorts on that day, and walking away with a uh, uh, very uh, large uh, stock gain. Uh, there's other, uh, uh, Dornberg uh, from uh, uh, Bell Helicopters was also, he was one of the, uh, Nazi helicopter or, or Nazi uh, uh, V2 scientist. Uh, he was connected in with it. Uh, 
And there's all kinds of connections to the Kennedy assassination and the Nazis. Now, you seem to to portray one side, meaning the right as the the ones who are mostly allied with the Nazis. And I, I tend to see that, especially in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. And one thing that a lot of people don't know is that Roosevelt, there was a coup, almost a coup to to bring the Nazis here and get rid of Roosevelt. Can you talk about that that attempted coup d'etat? Uh, sure. Um, these were Wall Street people. They approached uh, uh, Smedley Butler uh, to lead the coup, and they was going to use the American Legion, which was formed by uh, J.P. Morgan, to uh, bust up uh, unions and uh, socialism uh, after the World War One. Uh, uh, DuPont was going to furnish arms. Uh, there was both several prominent members uh, of uh, industry and uh, leading politicians. Uh, uh, there were a couple, even a couple Democrats involved in it. Uh, but mostly it was a Republican-led uh, coup. And uh, it was going to uh, offer Roosevelt a, uh, basically a uh, figurehead position, or they was going to remove him from office and basically dispose of him. Uh, the coup was filed uh, up because Smedley Butler was uh, really a patriot, and he he knew that, uh, what he what he did, and he verified it with a press person, and then he went to uh, Roosevelt, and uh, they basically exposed it in the paper. Uh, so they, they would, didn't dare to take uh, uh, continue with the coup. Uh, I should mention that Smedley Butler was a uh, highly decorated uh, Marine Corps general. And also, before Pearl Harbor happened, I saw a, a newspaper from Hawaii in which they're already discussing how the Japanese fleet is approaching. It's coming our way. There's information out there that states that Roosevelt knew well in advance that the Japanese were coming. But because the United States was so fed up with war, and after, oh, we're going to talk about this, we're going to come back to the First, first World War, because there's a lot of connections here and how you know the rise of power that Hitler had, a lot of it was because of, of, of the First World War. But Pearl Harbor, the reason why we didn't act before. Was it because Roosevelt needed this event to make the United States population fall behind and, 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 and support the war? I think that was one of the reasons. The other reason that I put out in the book was Roosevelt did his job. He uh, sent his general and admiral uh, at Pearl uh, war warning the week before the bombing. Uh, if he's guilt, Roosevelt was guilty of anything, he didn't follow up uh, on his uh, instructions to take defensive measures. Uh, but uh, the real reason, I think, if he covered it up or didn't say anything more than that was because he didn't want to expose his... Uh, it had turned out to be the, uh, the best weapon that he had during the 
entire length of the war, and that was the ability to read the Japanese code. Uh, he warned these generals, so they should have took action, uh, but they didn't, and that's what made, led to the uh, extensive damage there. But then uh, he still had the ability to read the Japanese code, and they were no more wiser, and that led to victories at Midway Coral, uh, Coral Sea in uh, uh, clear across the Pacific, and as well as in Europe, because uh, the Germans, uh, the Japanese would report on what the German diplomats had told them to. But the question many people have, you know, granted, that was a, a crucial event for the war. It's despicable what they did. But in a time of war, a country may be defend them, defending itself. What was the reason for Pearl Harbor to, to occur? Didn't we establish an embargo, a uh, an oil embargo against Japan, and they had to do what they had to do? That's pretty much the case, yes. Uh, uh, however, we can't fault Roosevelt for establishing an embargo as causing the war. If we did something like that, we'd have to blame uh, Kennedy for establishing an embargo on Cuba. And I don't think anybody here, a lot of your listeners, would want to give up that embargo against Cuba. Well, we can discuss that later. I'm a product of that embargo. My parents left Cuba during the missile crisis. But, you know, we can, let me go back to FDR once again. Uh -huh. My research states that he denied intelligence to Hawaii, number one. Number two, on November 27th, misleading the commanders into thinking negotiations with the Japan were continuing to prevent them from realizing the war was on. And three, having false information sent to Hawaii about the location of the Japanese carrier fleet. So, if this research is accurate, Roosevelt knew what was going on, and he was really pressed to get into war, and he needed Congress and the American public to support him. Well, most definitely on that. Uh, uh, the country was uh, extremely isolationist. Uh, and, and I wore at the time, uh, he did need some kind of event to, uh, uh, lead to it. Uh, I'm not going to defend a lot of it, but I mean, some of it, uh, the damage at Pearl was done just by plain old American arrogance because, uh, most of the damage was done by, uh, torpedo bombs and everybody in the Navy and, uh, Military said that torpedo bombs couldn't be used at Pearl because it was too shallow. Uh, so there's a lot of blame to go around for the extent of the damage, Roosevelt's complicity in it. Uh, I don't see him withholding uh, a lot of information or his uh, orders uh, being misleading. He said to take defensive measures without arousing uh, the population and. Uh, uh, the general there, uh, General Short and uh, Admiral Kid Kimball uh, uh, twisted that into meaning whatever, uh, not to take any orders. I mean, they didn't even have uh, manned machine guns or anti-aircraft uh, on the destroyers or anything uh, overnight. Uh, but yet they were supposed to take defensive measures from what Roosevelt had wrote them. So 
I don't know where uh, where to put the most blame on that. Do you think that we underestimated the military capability that the the Japanese had, since they had these these uh, torpedo bombs that were launched from their planes? And also, I I've done some research and found that they even had airplanes that could be launched from submarines. In other words, they, uh -huh. they, you've, have you heard that? Oh, yeah. There was uh, one that was launched off the Oregon coast, where I'm, uh, not too far from where I'm at, not too far from Portland. Uh, it was, uh, they'd come in and then launch it, and uh, it started a couple fires, and uh, eventually, it, I, I think they uh, crashed or started firing at the sub, and it went away. Now, going back to the Bush family, Prescott Bush, how did he become wealthy? Do you know? He he obviously married into almost royalty in the United States, didn't he? Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, he grew, married uh, very well, and uh, his father-in-law got him into uh, Brown and Harriman, uh, where he was set up, and then... Uh, Harriman uh, let him take over the Union Bank account, and uh, uh, he exploited a lot of that for himself as well. Uh, it, just on, on that they're uh, dealing with the Nazis, uh, he made a killing uh, on, uh, in that. Cause he was the only one that the Nazis allowed to sell stock in, in North America. So he collected all the fees for that as well. So isn't this proof that when there's a war, there's always there are always the 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 financiers always finance both sides, and also let's go back once again to World War One so that we can put things in perspective. Isn't it interesting uh -huh. that in 1911, I believe it was, was when the the this secretive group met in Jekyll Island to arrange the creation of the of the the creature, the Federal Reserve. In 1913, the Federal Reserve Act passed, and not too long after that, we have World War One. Do you think the Federal Reserve is responsible for a lot of these senseless wars that we have seen for decades now? Um, I don't know why you just blame the, uh, the Fed on that. I think I would uh, tend to blame the um, more towards the uh, international banking and uh, especially uh, the senseless wars that you talk about uh, since, I'll say, starting with Korea, I, I would blame entirely on the CIA. Uh, it's a war of arbitration. They're not designed to win uh, uh, one side or another. It's sort of a give and take. Uh but uh, uh, those senseless wars, essentially what they amount to is testing grounds uh, for the new weapon, weapon systems. Yes, and after the, the, was it the OSS then became the CIA, we have seen a lot of this. And the international bankers, which to me is the same thing. I mean, the Federal Reserve is just one branch of them. We don't know who yeah. really are the the... Let's call them what they are, the shareholders, the stockholders of the Federal Reserve. I can guarantee you there are plenty of foreigners who own that. But uh, 
you know, you mentioned Korea, let's mention Vietnam. These were wars, you know, of attrition. They were not meant to be won. And the same thing happens now. To me, it's the worst. The war on terror. I call uh -huh. it the war for terror. Do we really see an end inside of this? It's the perfect war for the for the war profiteers. You don't have an enemy that uh -huh. you can see. They don't have any uniform. They don't have a country. And, you know, I don't mean to be jumping around. We'll talk about the PNAC, the Project for a New American Century, where we needed another Pearl Harbor to get us into another war. So that was the precursor of the war that we have right now. But we have allegedly 19 Saudi Arabian hijackers. Why didn't we go and attack? If we believe the story, of course, which our listeners probably, the large majority, they don't. But why didn't, didn't we go and attack Saudi Arabia. Instead, we went immediately to Afghanistan. Oh, the real easy answer in all of this is oil. Uh, Vietnam was over oil. Uh, uh, there was a, a lot of oil exploration going on in Vietnam prior to us getting in, and there was a lot of uh, it continued offshore for a length of time. And uh, currently, uh, uh, Vietnam, the Philippines, uh, I can't remember, I can't remember the third country. They're all fighting over, uh, this part of the Pacific that has, uh, the offshore oil. Um, as far as, uh, uh, Dick Cheney's oil conf uh, uh, conference or whatever, energy conference, I guess he called it, uh, I think it was a, a war council uh, where the oil companies came in and divvied up the war, uh, world's oil. And as far as Afghanistan, there was a pipeline, a gas pipeline being built uh, through, from a former Soviet territory uh, into India to um, fuel a giant uh, uh, gas uh, generating plant that was owned by Enron. So oil is uh, the common denominator in all in all these wars that you've mentioned, and uh, up to the present. But why do we? Why did we even get involved? And I don't mean to rehash this, but why did we even get involved in Vietnam? We we've, we've been looking at it since the 1950s, but this was more mostly a French problem. Did we get all into? Right. Why did we get into it? Okay, what happened was. At the end of World War II, uh, uh, there was an Army intelligence officer that was talking to uh, uh, Uncle Hope, and he wanted him to kick out the Viet Minh, or the French, and he turned around and uh, supplied Uncle Hope with uh, arms that was building up for the invasion of the Japanese homeland. Uh, once Hope had uh, threw out the French, this young uh, intelligence officer was no longer, he was back in private in industry, and he went to Rockefeller, or he went to Uncle Ho and wanted the oil for a little or nothing. He just happened to have a name of Rockefeller. That is basically the story, though. Uh, the British got into it as well. They got the oil before the Standard Oil got into it. But uh, that was basically the whole thing. Uh, just of it, we uh, aided Hohen and uh, expected him to, throw, uh, to reciprocate with oil. Now, the title of uh, the book that you co-wrote, The Nazi Hydra 
in America. Why did you choose that title? Uh, the Hydra is the multi-headed beast that Ulysses uh, battled on his way back to Troy. Um, and it's symbolic. Uh, it's, no matter where you look, you don't have to look too far and you can uh, find a, uh, a fascist connection underneath it in the background. Uh, I mean, it's a, in our intelligence agencies. It's in our uh, military. Uh, it, it, it's, it's in our corporations, the way they're ran. It's all, it's even in religion. It's, it's all, everywhere you look. Now, fascism, what do you define for the listeners? Some people may know, some people may don't know. Let's, can you define Webster's definition of fascism? I'm not sure I got Webster's, but my own definition is uh, fascism is uh, any uh, move by the government to put uh, corporate interests over the people. Well, Webster's Dictionary says it defines fascism as a government system marked by a centralized dictatorship, stringent socioeconomic controls, and belligerent nationalism. Now, uh-huh. I know you wrote this book, I believe, was was it 2004 or 2008? Uh, actually, uh, it was a process from 97 to 2008. It took me 11 years from the time I started until I got it on the shelf. Wow. So you just started during the Clinton administration, then the Bush administration. Now we have the Obama administration. Uh-huh. Now, the time when Bush was in, 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 in power, uh, Bush Jr., we saw a lot of of the similarities, the parallels between Nazi Germany and the United States. And I would say, let me just talk about these these parallels. I want to get your take on this. Germany had the Reichstag fire. We had 9-11. Hitler had the Enabling Act. Bush had the Patriot Act. Hitler had Fatherland Security. We have Homeland Security. They had the Gestapo over there. We have the National Defense Authorization Act. They had gun-grabbing there, and it seems that the same has begun, or they're trying to, here in the United States. And we're seeing a lot of these false flag events where they're, you know, killing people in schools, and then, you know, demolishing the school in, uh, in the East Coast it makes no sense to a lot of people. Socialized medicine, he, Hitler had, now we have the Affordable Care Act here. Now, many people thought that Bush would be the one instituting a lot of this. And I have to tell you, I don't want to get political here at all, but I think the left and the right are just wings of the same bird. Because honestly, when I saw Obama coming, I fell on the trap that I thought, really, maybe we have some hope. I'm tired of the wars. I'm tired of going out there and spending money unnecessarily in wars, maybe we can finally see peace for some time and make things better. But I don't think Obama had changed at all. As a matter of fact, I see the script continuing and continuing. Do you see that? Oh, yes, uh, most definitely. Uh, I was no fan of Obama when I first, uh, uh, before he even received the election, when he said George Bush was a good guy. I knew he would already bet it was on the take. Uh, the two parties any longer, no, no different. Uh, uh, basically what happened was after, uh, 
McGovern was lost the election in uh, 72. Uh, the Democratic Party changed the way the, uh, a person can seek to get to the nomination, and they changed it in such a way that uh, no candidate is ever going to get uh, the nomination unless he's vetted by the Central Committee, which means vetted by uh, Wall Street and that crowd. Uh, and that's what, where Obama was. That's where Bill Clinton was as well. Uh, you won't see somebody like Kasich or um, Howard or any of the others uh, like that uh, get a chance to get the nomination because the media won't cover them because they haven't been vetted by the Central Committee and uh, Wall Street. Now, going back to, you mentioned McGovern. Do you think that after November 22nd, 1963, the day Kennedy was assassinated, do you think that after that, every president is vetted and probably every president is told once she takes office, look, this is our script, you will follow it. As Bill, uh, Bill Hicks, the, form, the comedian who passed away some years ago, used to say, they show the video showing the assassination of Kennedy. Do you think, uh, perhaps not exactly, but do you think that's, that's what happens, that all these candidates have to follow a certain script in order to, re to remain in power and possibly remain alive? Uh, most definitely. I, uh, I will agree with that. Um, you know, uh, Bush was the best puppet they could get. Uh, so is Obama. There isn't much difference in their policies. Uh, but yeah, that was that's definitely there. Uh, it's definitely what leads to the uh, nomination if they don't, uh, uh, if they're not agreeing to uh, uh, dance to their, their tune, they're not going to get to uh, get to the nomination even any longer. Uh, the end result of that, if you will, um, was look what happened uh, in January of 2001. The powers to be said to hell with the electorate. We're appointing our own man. You're referring to the election between uh, Bush and Gore. Uh-huh, exactly. And, uh, the hell with the re election results. It's Point Bush. And, of course, it had to happen in, in Florida. The governor was the president's or the, the soon-to-be president's brother. The secretary of state was, mm -hmm. you know. So, yes, yes, I, I, see, I see the point there. But what I'm trying to say is that many people are disillusioned today with uh, President Obama. The first thing he said before being elected was that he wanted transparency. He has been nothing uh, to that effect. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. you know, when, when even reporters question it, you know what happens. Right now, we have all these whistleblowers put in jail, uh, Snowden. And look, I'm not trying to condone that if you have state secrets that could be used by the enemy, that uh, you should go out there and say it. But the fact that there's so much that happens behind the scenes that goes against the, the Constitution, how is it that we are going to be able to see the United States go back to a constitutional republic that we are. We're not a democracy, and many people repeat that again and again. We're a constitutional republic. How can we get there again? 
Well, I don't think, uh, I think we're pat long past the stage where it can be done by the ballot box, unfortunately. I think the only way that you're going to see us get back to that is a hot revolution, unfortunately. Now, the parallels that I mentioned to you, Hitler and Bush and now Obama, I mean, pick, pick one, the National Defense Authorization Act. Have you followed what that law states? Uh, I haven't followed it as close as I should, uh, but basically it allows them to do every, any damn thing they want. Uh, there is no law at that point when that day comes into effect. It's uh, uh, basically martial law. Exactly. It's the night of the long knives once again. They can. Uh-huh. They don't even have to knock on your door. They can just, uh, you know, get into your home, take you, disappear you, and you have absolutely no habeas corpus. And what can trigger that is any type of emergency. Now, let me ask you: What can constitute an emergency these days? Anything you want. Uh, uh, you know, Katrina was one. Uh, St. Helens on it, but it would be another one. Uh, I, you know, any type of riot uh, or large demonstration, uh, they're got, they got it down to where they basically uh, they can call an emergency for anything they want. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I understand many people who listen to us are probably one party or the other. I don't mean to offend anybody because I am, I don't have a dog in this race. I'm apolitical. I'm an independent, but I see things. I, I, I used to, uh, you know, look at both parties and now I see that they're both the same. What Bush started, Obama continues. So the next person that comes along, they will continue. Where exactly are we going? Is this Fourth Reich already here or are we close to? to get into the Fourth Reich? I think we're here. I think we got the Fourth Reich. Right now, it's got a smiley face on. Uh, but uh, they're going to peel that off uh, soon. Uh, like I say, the only thing I can see stopping it is widespread dissension. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to have to be uh, a hot revolution because the people that have the power that's behind all this, uh, they're using the government to enrich themselves further. They're not going to give up any of that power anytime soon. Uh, and, and at least so, not without a fight. But you see, the problem, Glenn, that I see with a hot revolution is that that is exactly what they want. They want a hot revolution because that is the excuse to, to bring all the homeland security assets, you've heard about the 1.6 billion hollow point bullets that they're buying supposedly in, 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 a, in a five-year contract. Plus, they have close to 300 armored uh, vehicles to patrol the streets in the United States. And I don't mean to spread fear, but they have the FEMA camps, uh, Rex 84. I live in Arizona. I drive through one of them all the time. And I see the, ga- the, the actual fences. If it was just a FEMA camp to, to help people, you know, weather a disaster, why would they have these um, barbed wires 
in, on the inside for people not being able to get out. What do you know about uh, FEMA camps and Rex 84? You're talking about the concentration camps uh, that yes. is up and around? Yeah. Uh, I, they are concentration camps to hold the masses. Uh, I think it was 2006 that the budget included uh, about $330 million, uh for Brown and uh, I think it was uh, Brown and Root or uh, Halliburton uh, to upgrade the camps. Uh, the cover story was they were for uh, getting ready in case there was an invasion of uh, aliens uh, or whatever. Uh, I've seen the pictures on the internet. I'm sure you have too. Uh, they all show the guard towers, the barbed wire and stuff in a lot of them. But you never see any latrines or any uh, uh, other uh, structures in which uh, uh, medical or food or water could be dispensed from. Uh, you look at those pictures and it all adds up to one thing. Those are death camps. Well, they were used in, in the 1940s with uh, the Japanese internment where you know, Roosevelt oh, okay. was really concerned. He sent his people to the West Coast and allegedly the report said that 98% of the Japanese population uh, was sympathetic with the Japanese. And that's why, you know, this was a, one of the darkest moments in, in our history uh, to put all these the Japanese uh, Americans in concentration camps. So if that happened in the past, what tells you that people like you and I, you know, people who just are discussing this by exercising our, our freedom of speech, that we wouldn't be the first ones to be sent there? Yeah, we probably would be. Uh, uh, if I get any hint that there's something like that going wrong, I'm up in the mountains where nobody's going to find me, and nobody had better uh, uh, try to uh, follow me unless they got a death wish. Uh, you know, it's a matter of getting info and seeing a, uh, what's happening ahead of time uh, to get out of it. If you don't and you stick around, you're just going to be hauled off to the camp unless you're willing to put up a fight right there uh, there. And that's probably going to be a losing battle. I understand that, Glenn. But you know, going back to Nazi Germany, you are you familiar with Operation Paperclip? Yeah. Okay. So you know that most of their scientists and engineers came here, as as well as the Soviet Union. So in essence, we brought the, Na the Nazis here, and since we had so many Nazi sympathizers in the United States, you know, we had the CIA. In fact, do you think the CIA was taken over by Nazis? I mean, there's there's NASA. We know NASA, Nazi uh, rhymes, but do you think the CIA was taken over by uh, the Nazis? I think they swallowed a giant Trojan horse called the Galen Organization. I think they swallowed that one whole. Now, tell me more about that. Well, Galen was... Uh a Nazi general that was in charge of the intelligence in the East on the Soviets, and 
we employed him, put him, uh, because to get his secrets on the Soviets, we put him in charge, and basically, he was the one man that uh, provoked the Cold War. Uh, between him and Alan Dulles, they both uh, stoked the uh, fires of the Cold War. Uh, and any, uh, how any private should have realized if it was stationed in Germany at the end of the war, should have realized that uh, Russia was in no, uh, was not going to be invading uh, Europe anytime soon because they was too busy pulling up the rails to take home with them. Uh, they didn't have the, uh, you know, and without the rails, they wouldn't have had the, uh, the means to move their troops fast. So, I mean, anybody should have realized what was going uh, that they didn't have the ability to uh, to invade Europe. But yet Galen was the one behind the message that was, uh, led uh, uh, General Clay to issue an alarm, uh, sounded an alarm about uh, the Soviet invasion. It was almost intimate. Now, one thing that I see between Germany and the United States is that, you know, once Hitler took power, almost there wasn't any opposition. And, you know, there's a saying, let me find it right here, nothing is so unworthy of a civilized nation as allowing itself to be, quote-unquote, governed without opposition by an irresponsible clique that has yielded to base in instinct. Do you see this happening in the United States now? Pretty much so. Uh, by the way, that, uh, that their little clip you just read was from the White Rose White Society. White Rose Society, correct. Of their paper. Uh, and, uh, of course, they ended up uh, getting their heads uh, decapitated. That's right. So, again, the reason why I brought you here today, Glenn, is because I'm seeing these uncanny parallels and many people take offense to this sometimes in conversations that I have with with you know friends and I try to avoid all these topics because they they don't want to know they don't want to hear the truth when you tell them what happened in Germany is happening here they say you're absolutely nuts it's impossible we have freedom of speech we have all of these freedoms in the United States this would never ever happen do you think people in Germany saw it happening there? Uh, you're getting into a point, uh, area that I, I think that's uh, very interesting uh, because I'm seeing it happening here. It basically you cause enough noise and foulness in your uh, panics out there. You're going to discourage a lot of people from following the government. Uh, and that's what happened in, uh, basically happened in Nazi Germany. The government's only lasted probably six months. Uh, I think the shortest one was like six days or something. Uh, and then there was another election. Uh, the people just got burnt out on it, uh, with all that. And actually, I wrote a, a couple paragraphs about it when the government was shut down. And they're doing the same thing here with the government shut down. I mean, when the Nazis shut down uh, the government there, when Hitler was uh, appointed chancellor, they shut it down again after they failed to get a majority uh, in the 33 election. 
they weren't interested in any uh, democracy or any compromise. They just was interested in uh, shoving their agenda down uh, uh, Germany's throat. And that's what I see going on here. The more people you discourage from taking part of the government, the easier it's going to be for them. Well, but let's go back to World War One. Germany had his uh, had their emperor uh, Wil Wilhelm or William II, and after the war, we saw you know small governments take over, you know here and there. They wouldn't last that long, and I think the longest it lasted was probably what uh, uh, just uh, over a decade, and that's when the the Weimar Republic happened, and they were in in, in dire straits. You know, the, the Treaty of Versailles was not helpful to, to the Germans. And that's what, that's why Hitler rose to power. Wasn't that the reason why people were clamoring for something to just lift them from, from, from that? I think they were. Uh, I read an interesting article, too, about that uh, just recently. And it was about the secret societies that uh, basically... The secret societies in Germany mapped out the course for the World War II. Uh, but I do think the Treaty of Versailles had a lot to do with it as well. Why did Hitler use the swastika inverted? Have you studied that? Um, no, I haven't, quite frankly. Well, they, he actually took it, as you say, secret societies. Uh, they, they had their... Um, Ananurb, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, their brain tank that traveled the world, went to uh, the Himalayas, uh, to the, you know, spoke with uh, Tibetan monks and got a lot of information there. And that's basically what they got their swastika, but it was inverted. So a lot of people, when they see a swastika that's not the Nazi one, they immediately think of Hitler as opposed to, you know, a peaceful, perhaps a peaceful uh, religion. But, um, you know, once Hitler took power, he needed to make quick changes, and that's when they had their their 0911. They blamed the Reichstag fire on a communist. Immediately, what was their Afghanistan? It was Poland. Immediately, they went to Poland, and they continued again and again and again. Where do you see the United States if we are actually implementing, which we are, we're continuing the Nazi script. Where do you see us going? Uh, I think one of the Big areas right now would be Iran, uh, Iran, uh, possibly Syria, because uh, from Syria they can move north uh, into the Caucasus uh, or uh, mountains there. Uh, we've we've been uh, we've had some uh, CIA uh, tinkering around in that area already. Uh, there was a. Uh, part of a assassination group or something in there already that uh, provoked some uh, nasty reactions. Uh, so uh, those are the two areas I would see right now. As they say, all roads lead to Damascus. So Syria is important. Now, something happened recently, and you, I think you have followed this as well. We were going to go into Syria, in the drums of war, I haven't seen them so powerful, so loud, as I saw when Kerry and President Obama were discussing that we needed to go out there because they were using chemical weapons, when in reality it was those uh, foreign fighters who were there were using uh, chemical weapons. 
against the population. But JFK, you know, he prevented, in my opinion, he may have prevented World War III when they wanted, after the missile crisis, they really wanted to get us into World War III, but he had a policy of detente, or basically he he stopped it. Uh, you know, cool heads prevailed, and because of that, we are here today. Perhaps if he had not acted the way he did with Khrushchev, uh, there could have been thermonuclear war. Now, since we couldn't proceed with World War III, now with Syria, it seemed to have been another moment in history. However, we have the Russians and the Chinese who stuck together and said to the United States, no, this is not going to happen. Do you think the United States as a geopolitical power is losing its its might around the world? I think so, because uh, it's too expensive to... Uh uh, project that power in lots of the cases. I mean, uh, the amount of money that we spend is spending, uh, even in our, uh, Afghanistan right now, where we have hardly much more than an expeditionary force, is staggering. Uh, and the cost of these weapons are, is even more staggering. Uh, so I think, uh, I think we're losing a, an edge there because simply because we no, we no longer can afford it. And there are some interesting facts that I found in your book. When people hear the word Jew, a Nazi, they think of, of the words as polar opposites or, or enemies. But there is a close and sinister association between Zionism and the Nazis. First of all, for the audience, the listeners, can you define the word Zionist? Uh, Zionism. Uh, or Zionism. Uh, I would define it as uh, Israel nationalism, uh, basically a strong belligerent nationalism from Israel. Uh, I don't know if that would make a good definition of it or not, since it is tied to religion, but... Uh, Religion is a very powerful uh, uh, force in war, too. Well, but there are Christian Zionists, there are Muslim Zionists. So when it comes to religion, I don't know how relevant that is. But yes, it's probably, you know, this overzealous wish to have or and protect uh, Israel. Um, and there's one part in, in your book that you mentioned that many Zionists supported Hitler and the Nazis. These are these were Jewish people in the United States. That what really they what they really wanted was a, a new homeland. They wanted Israel, and they've been trying to negotiate this since World War One. They did not succeed back then, but they were going to succeed in, in World War Two. And even Hitler was allowing the Jews to leave to Palestine, and apparently. Those who were going to stay behind were going to be butchered. Do you think that those who stayed behind became the proverbial, you know, sacrificial lamb in order to have Israel, the nation, rise? Um, probably in the end, it amounted very much to that. Uh, there was a transfer agreement between the Nazis and the uh, Jewish uh, people. Uh, basically, just like you said, 
allowed the Jews to migrate to Palestine. Uh, Hitler didn't see any problem with that. It got him, uh, uh, got rid of the Jews for him. Uh, there was a lot of disagreement the, uh, amongst uh, Jewish congresses and stuff, uh, basically arguing over uh, fine details that amounted to who was going to get the money to, uh, for the purchase of the agriculture and uh, uh, implements because they had to be all the all the implements and stuff had to be purchased in Germany. So, but yes, there was a transfer agreement there. Uh, and basically the transfer agreement came about, uh, through, uh, uh, as a way to force, uh, the Jews to migrate to Palestine. Now let me make a clear distinction here that, you know, most Jewish people were not, uh, are not Zionists. They're well, good, intended people like uh, anybody that you know. Then there's the Kasarian ones. And if you look into history, and I don't, this is not part of this, this radio interview, but anybody who wants to Google the Kasarian Jews and, and look at the history and how they were kicked out of that area of the world because they were so problematic. But, you know, Jews in Germany were not Zionists. So they didn't want to leave their, their homeland, uh, Germany. And they were given two choices. Emigrate to Palestine or perish in the Holocaust. And most of these people decided that they wanted to stay in their homeland. They didn't want to go there to a, you know, to the Middle East and, you know, to a place that was not theirs. So the sacrificial lamb theory seems to be very plausible. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm not going to argue with it because uh, uh, it did happen that way. Uh, it, uh, it came down to a choice of uh, my, my immigrating to Palestine or uh, uh, off to the camps and the ovens. Uh, uh, but, uh, <coughs> so they would be, uh, sacrificial lambs to form the state of Israel, but, uh, uh, I don't know any other way of describing it. And of course, the six million Jews that, if that, if the number is accurate, I'm not going to argue it right now, that was a, a huge propellant or a catalyst to say, look, we cannot have this happen again and thus the term never again. And we saw rise to the the nation state of Israel. But there's one thing that I've always wondered why it was deleted from history, at least from mainstream history. The fact that uh, Trotsky, Marx, Lenin, Stalin were Jewish. And they kill many, many, many millions of people. Why don't we see this more as part of mainstream history? Um, I cannot tell you on that. All I can tell you is that uh, the history we get are, uh, is written by the victors, and apparently they don't want us to know that. Uh, by the way, uh, one of Hitler's, uh, there was a Jewish influence in Hitler's family, too. One of his uh, grandmothers uh, slept with a Rothschild. Now, can you repeat that again? Um, there was a Jewish uh, influence in Hitler's family as well. One of his grandmothers uh, slept with a Rothschild, from the best information I've gotten. I've also heard that uh, Hitler was Jewish. Is that only a rumor? 
I don't think he was full Jewish. No, I, I think he was uh, had Jewish blood in, in him, part Jewish, but I don't think he was a uh, hundred percent Jewish. Okay, and um, now going back to fascism. Is global fascism growing through free trade agreements? And, you know, we hear, and I even worked for a company that I was surprised that you even included the name of the company in your book several times, Don and Bradstreet. That used to be my, my career in a different life. And I was part of, you know, these trade agreements. I thought that at the time, you know, what a great thing. Let's unite all the world. We can, we can deal with each other. Let's, let's break down all these barriers between countries. But now I know better. Now I know that we need to have some kind of protectionism to preserve our, our industry. I think that World War III happened already and not a bullet was fired or a bomb dropped. We lost, at least in the United States, we lost our war. We lost our industrial base because of free trade agreements. I wish I had known all of this before. And, you know, we have, we have all these world trade organizations. Do you think global fascism is growing because of the, the uh, dropping of all these trade barriers? Almost well, definitely, because uh, all these trade agreements, if you look at them in the fine details, uh, they all amount to uh, shifting the power from the government to the corporations. Uh, they all have a uh, basically arbitration. You can't drop out of them without arbitration, and arbitration is set up by the corporations uh, in the trade agreement. Uh, and the government is giving up its authority. Uh, this is the latest one, a trade agreement with the Pacific Rim, it's terrible because uh, it uh, specifically uh, allows uh, uh, corporations involved to set the environmental uh, uh, regulations and rules that they're willing to follow. Same way with the work workplace OSHA type regulations and the way they treat labor. Uh, uh, it's shifting the, all the power under the corporations and uh, removing the government and the people from it. And we have to take our one and only intermission, Glenn. But when we come back, I want to continue diving into, into this book. But let me just say this, too. I go back to Bush and Obama. There are three ways to spot fascism. One, pitting religion, racial, and economic groups against one another in order to, to break down the national unity. It's a device to divide and conquer. It's a technique used by Hitler to gain power in Germany. That is exactly, in my opinion, and you don't have to belong to to the left or the right or be an independent or a libertarian or the Green Party. This is happening. And I'm tired of people saying that it's not going to happen because then it brings back that anecdote from that person who said, first they came for the unionist. I was not a unionist. I didn't speak because I was not a unionist. Then they came for uh, the so-and-so, and they came for the Jews, and in the end, they, t t they came for me, and there was nobody else to speak for me. But tell people how to buy your book, the book that you co-authored, The Nazi Hydra in America. Uh, you can purchase it at any bookstore 
Uh, you'll probably need to order it. Uh, you can purchase it on Amazon.com. You can also purchase it directly from uh, the publisher, uh, Progressive Press. Uh, the best, uh, probably the, uh, uh, to give your uh, readers a break on the price, probably the best source for it, the cheapest, is Amazon.com. Now we have links on our website as well. This book is uh, you know, close to 700 pages long. It's going to take some time to read. It's very overwhelming to the newcomers when it comes to this. But folks, this is happening. It's not in our history books, and I doubt that it ever will. So I'm glad that you're listening and staying with us here. When we come back, we have Glenn Eden telling us more. This is Mel Bambergas, and you are listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy. Freedom from the man who lives the 
Suddenly a voice was heard Flash the brave young man appeared The dragon world This is Jeffrey Grupp, and you are listening to Veritas. 